Hello, Great start. Hello, this is Grace and Peace, was what I was starting to say. Um, hello, Grace and Peace, this is Anar the Anarchist Bible Study. I mean, why am I having so much trouble with these words that, well, Josh says every week? And it's because I am not Josh. I am Jeff Park, a.k.a. A hugger because I'm a neighbor hater. At least that's what we're going to hear. We're going to get a little flashback today to those heady days of uh, 2020 when James Coates was in jail and the Alberta Health Services was putting fencing up around uh, his uh, church, uh, Grace Life Church in Edmonton, um, or, well, Spruce Grove. Uh, for our Albertan listeners, uh, not quite the same thing. But for anyone who doesn't live in Alberta, Edmonton is fine. Um, and uh, <clears throat> um, and so we're going to, yeah, we're going to get a little bit of a flashback to where, um, to uh, that fateful day when uh, Global News showed up uh, wearing their, their double masks outside um, to uh, to report on breathlessly, uh, pun intended, uh, breathlessly report on uh, parishioners of the church hugging each other like they were trying to murder us all. They were trying to murder us all. They were hugging, can you imagine? Hugging while watching people uh, put a fence up around their church and change the locks. And can you imagine the gall, the unmitigated gall that people would have to have to comfort each other while being locked out of their place of worship. Um, and, uh, and so, okay. So, so having gone through all that, I will, I will state once again, for any who are confused, uh, if you just stumbled upon uh, this podcast, first of all, sorry, we left that podcast out in a place where you could stumble upon it. And second of all, uh, this is the anarchist Bible study, to be clear. Um, and, um, uh, and normally, it is very much of the two dudes talking genre, or if you caught this week's preambling, a, uh, hang on, a five dudes and one dudette talking uh, genre in uh, this week's preambling. Uh, but uh, um, uh, but uh, tonight, tonight I'm going solo, um, but really I have a major assist from uh, Pastor James Coates of Grace Life Edmonton. Uh, we're going to be listening to his... Uh, testimony in front of the uh, National Citizens Inquiry on uh, on the COVID lockdowns. Um, and uh, so I am reacting to this live. I have been meaning to watch, uh, I've been meaning to watch his testimony, but uh, because of the uh, provincial election, I haven't gotten around to it. So you are getting a, uh, a live react. I don't know what he's going to say, except um, that I have found Pastor Coates uh, and his wife, Erin, especially when she was the only one who could really speak to the public, to be uh, just very saturated in the gospel and 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 very well grounded. Uh, we would disagree with his politics, as if that matters. Um, but. Um, uh, I, he, I think he's openly talked about religious freedom 
not being a good in and of itself that that true christian churches should have the freedom to worship uh and and that uh and that muslims for instance shouldn't that is not something we agree with um uh if if we felt that the the state or even a competent civil magistrate was able to make those distinctions without crushing the church and without crushing true faith, then maybe we would feel differently, but we don't. Um, and so, uh, so anyway, there, there are probably little things theologically here and there that we, uh, um, uh, or I don't have to minimize them but to, to say that there are things theologically we would disagree with, but for the most part, um, we found James Coates to be um, just excellent at bringing the right scriptures and the, and the bringing the gospel uh, to the situation. And, um, and obviously we followed um, what happened to his church. So there's an extent to which I kind of know what I'm, I'm getting here uh, enough that I, uh, uh, enough that I, I uh, feel uh, that it's uh, worthwhile to do an episode and do a live react. I've also seen several, many, many people say, uh, whatever you were going to watch tonight, watch this instead. Um, uh, and, and people whose opinion I trust on, on such matters. So, uh, so I'm, I'm confident that that we'll be uh, pretty pleased with what we hear. Um, we're going to start at 1.25 speed just because it's a 52 minute testimony. So just to give us a chance of moving along expeditiously, we'll go ahead and, uh, um, and start it at that higher speed. Um, but, uh, we, we will, uh, be mindful of, how this sounds to people who are, uh, I say we, I will be mindful of how this sounds to uh, people who are uh, listening at two times speed or three times speed with silent skipping as is authorial intent. Um, and uh, uh, I might slow it down if if I'm uh, concerned that he's talking quickly enough that that's making it difficult, or uh, I might speed it up <laughs> if I, I feel that, um, we can just blast through, through this, but let's uh, hear what Pastor Coates has to say in his testimony to the National Citizens Inquiry on the lockdowns. If, if I'm uh, concerned that he's talking quickly enough, yes, that's making it difficult. Really? Or uh, I might speed it up <laughs> if I, I feel. Sorry, guys. That was me boomerang. Um, I thought I had muted that video and unmuted the video of Pastor Coates, but apparently I did that the wrong way around. Your, uh, full name. Here we go. And then spell it for us, and then I'll do an old list. Yes, my name is James Coates, J-A-M-E-S-C-O-A-T-E-S. Do you uh, promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth during your testimony today? Of course. Oh, 
Okay, just uh, for our audience who may not be aware, um, I do recall that at one point you were interviewed by Tucker Carlson on his show, uh, and you had a certain amount of publicity. So um, I think uh, I'll just turn you loose. Let's start in March of 2020 and uh, start telling your story, and I will uh, intervene if I, if I think it's something relevant. Yeah, sure. And just a word of correction, it was actually my wife that was on Tucker Carlson. So I was in prison at the time, and she was on Tucker's show and interviewed by him. And, uh, and we think that may have been instrumental in my release, but I can put that aside for a moment. So when the pandemic began. Okay. Yeah. So, um, like I said, while, uh, while Pastor Coates was in, uh, was in jail, um, uh, I think technically it was jail and not prison, um, that, uh, it was Aaron Coates who was doing the speaking, um, for them. And that would have included being on. Tucker Carlson, which, uh, um, you know, was back when Fox was able to have viewers. Um, and, uh, and so, um, uh, so we had, uh, we had mentioned that. I also just want to mention that, uh, just to, just for accuracy's sake, because I can see this and, and you can't, that it's the national citizens inquiry on Canada's response to COVID nineteen is the official um, uh, is is the official name of this uh, proceeding, and I believe this. I can't remember because um, when I was involved in potentially, um, I, I was involved in this in this initiative as a as an organizer at one point, but this was. Uh, when the person heading this commission was uh, was a different person, um, so I'm not 100% sure who the other person speaking is, uh, but I think he might be a federal judge. Um, this is, to be clear, not an official um, government proceeding. It is, as the name suggests, it suggests a citizen inquiry. Uh, the main purpose of which is to um, get the facts on the record and make sure that the kinds of witnesses and um, and yeah testimony that's allowed to be heard um, in the citizens inquiry would match any of the government inquiries that are happening, one of which is now being headed by the person who <laughs> was supposed to be heading. Uh, for sorry, the Alberta, um, uh, the Alberta government inquiry is now being headed by the person who uh, was heading the uh, citizens inquiry for the country um, uh, before he uh, was being paid by the Alberta government to do the same thing, which obviously meant that he couldn't uh, continue with the national citizens inquiry. So. Um, so anyway, that's the situation here, and I will let uh, Pastor Coates speak. Again, like everyone, we didn't know the full extent of the severity of the virus, and, and we were in the same place everybody else was as far as the information that was being given and trying to you know, anticipate the severity of this thing. And so when, when churches were ordered to close, shut down, limit, ga excuse me, limit gatherings, we we opted to uh, comply. We did that reluctantly, but we complied with nearly all of the guidelines that were in place for services. So we went to live stream. Um, we 
we were limiting to the capacity number that was given. Um, we, we were, for the most part, reasonably socially distanced and all of that. So, so we were largely in compliance. And during that time, during that first public health emergency, we, we were gathering data. All of us as a leadership were assessing the severity of the virus, evaluating the government's handling of the pandemic and the lockdowns and the effects of them. So when the premier at the time, Premier Kenny, announced the end of the public uh, health emergency in June of 2020, we were at that point in time prepared to open our doors and let our people decide whether or not they were going to return to normal in-service gatherings. So we did that. And, uh, and you know, our, our people, to some degree, came back, not everyone. And, and we were, our doors were open um, at that point in time. There were still guidelines in place because the emergency had lapsed. There was really no teeth in the legislation to, to penalize us for that. And for the most part, we were uh, smooth sailing as far as our, um, our services were concerned. Uh, we had a couple of cases of individuals coming to our gatherings who were mildly symptomatic and then subsequently uh, uh, tested positive for COVID-19 and then did our own internal contact tracing to see to what extent there was spread. And we had no, no evidence of any spread in our gathering uh, in either case. And, and we opted for two Sundays during that time that we had opened up. We decided to go just a live stream for two Sundays just to make sure that we weren't in some sort of ongoing uh, spread of the virus. And again, this was still pretty early, so we're back in the summer of 2020. But after those two Sundays, we had determined there was no ongoing spread of the virus, and so we reopened again, and that would have been in uh, July, as I recall, July 2020. And, uh, and, and we were open all the way until we ultimately were locked out of our facility in April of 2021. Now, when things really kind of got dicey was in the second declared health emergency that was announced in November. At that particular point, our, our gatherings were getting some scrutiny from the community around us. Complaints were being made to AHS. AHS was then contacting us. And we knew come December 13th, Sunday, December 13th, 2020, that AHS would be coming to our uh, facility. And uh, we were anticipating that. Uh, it turned out that they came that day with the RCMP. We were trying to be um, just very transparent with our people to give them as much information as possible to be able to, uh, to navigate the very awkward circumstances that we were finding ourselves in. And so we, uh, we sent an email ahead of December 13th and, and let our people know what they could expect. I found out later that that, uh, that that email was leaked to AHS. And so that's why AHS brought the RCMP to ensure they get entry into our facility. So on December 13th, 2020, we had AHS. Sorry, I'm going to stop here just to comment that. So they send out an email to the members of the church. And then that email was leaked to the Alberta Health Services. <sighs> Guys, as Christians, we need to get a lot better at not prioritizing our loyalty to the state over our loyalty to our fellow Christians. This is just... I don't think the Muslims are winning, but if they are, it's because they don't do this. I don't, I certainly don't think the Sikhs are winning, but if they are, it's because they don't do it, do this. I, I think, I think not even the Jews think the Jews are winning, but if they are, it's because they don't do this. For some reason, it's only Christians who feel the loyalty to the state to rat on fellow Christians um, in this 
Um, look, and that's a big part of the reason why enforcement only came down on Christians during COVID. Um, at least in Alberta, there were there was no enforcement on any other religions. I know. I mean, I am. I ain't a rat, even on people of other religions, but I know for a fact <laughs> that other religions continued to have services um, during COVID in Alberta, um, and that it was only only Christians who um, suffered the persecution, and I will call it persecution, from the Alberta Health Services. But largely that's because it was only Christians ratting on other Christians. So we have to stop. Okay, we have to stop. Look, I, I, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here, but uh, if you're if you're listening to an anarchist Bible study, um, that that probably means you, uh, uh, at least in the words of the famous Rothbard essay, you at least hate the state. I, I should hope, or, or maybe you don't, and you just like listening to us, and that's and that's great too. Um, but. Um, but we like, <laughs> so in everything else that you're about to hear, remember that these, that none of this happens, none, nothing that happens beyond this happens without a member of this church sharing information for members of this church with the Alberta Health Services, knowing at least partially what the likely outcome of that would be, at least partially. I think no one could have imagined some of the things that are about to happen here, but, um, but yes, just bear in mind that um, all of this is possible because a Christian failed to consider themselves members of one another as much as a citizen of Alberta. And that's what set off this chain of events that's about to fall. And the RCMP in our services standing on our balcony as we began our services. And uh, we actually honored the RCMP. We actually believe that law enforcement is really important and, and realize that law enforcement officers are, um, you know, scrutinized pretty negatively. And, and especially with what was going on at that time in the U.S., south of the border of us. So we, we stood and gave a standing ovation to the RCMP and honored them and did that for multiple Sundays back. Um, and uh, and ultimately, we, we began our services. And, and Sorry, let's just point out, like, <laughs> um, these are the last people who like the RCMP. These are the last people who wanted to. Um, these are the last people who wanted to defy the cops. These are the. Um, the these are not. These are not the people that. It was wise of the cops to. Open their eyes to. Um, the corrupt bargain that many, many at least, cops 
um, make in the course of uh, enforcing the evil dictates of the state. And they would kind of get the evidence that they needed and, and they would leave. And so uh, AHS at that point in time was driving the investigation. Uh, they came back on December 20th. I preached a sermon on that Sunday. By the by, the reason, in case he doesn't say this, the reason AHS was able to do this in Alberta is because Jason Kinney um, signed an order in council um, enabling them to uh, to head up investigations that could could result in arrests. That was, um, that's one of the big reasons why China was not arresting pastors and Alberta was. Um, so Jason Kinney likes to do the revisionist history and, and say that, um, uh, and I'm not just, just to be clear, I'm not speaking about, um, I'm not speaking about an event I attended with Jason Kinney that was under Chatham house rules, not even talking about that, not commenting on anything that was said there at all. I'm talking about outside of the context of that event. Um, <laughs> Jason Kinney likes to uh, play revisionist history and say that, um, that, uh, that he didn't, he wasn't responsible for this. He didn't, he didn't do anything um, to have these pastors get arrested. It's just, um, just you had uh, pastors and AHS both unwilling to back down what was he supposed to do? Um, he can't interfere in investigations and yada yada yada. This is this is what this is what he uh, what he said. But the fact is that Alberta was somewhat unique in the legal authority that it gave AHS to basically uh, order arrests um, without uh, uh, having to go through. A typical court process. So that's um, that's worth noting here. The ability for AHS to lead this investigation, um, uh, and the the way that the way that works is basically AHS is operating under the under the authority of um, uh, under the authority of the the cabinet. Um, uh, basically there. And the RCMP, even though RCMP is federal and AHS is provincial, the RCMP in this instance, because we're not actually in Edmonton proper, we're in Spruce Grove, which is outside Edmonton, the RCMP is acting as um, the uh, contract police force to the province in this, in this instance. So the province is the uh, is the employer, in a sense, of the RCMP in this instance, which is why a uh, provincial agency can't tell a federal agency what to do. Is in this in this case, the federal agency is not acting as a federal agency, but as a, um, uh, but uh, is, but the uh, the province is their client in this case. So, okay. Sunday called. Uh, the time has come. In that sermon, I laid out a theological defense for why the church ought to be open. I also did get into some of the medical and legal aspects of the, the, the whole issue at, at play. 
And it was that sermon that really dialed things up because that sermon went viral. Uh, it made the six o'clock news on Monday where they took an excerpt from that sermon, played it on uh, live TV. And, uh, and really, from my perspective, uh, pick a phenomenal excerpt because the excerpt climaxes in the statement that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is Lord. And so we were thrilled that they had selected that excerpt to, to uh, use on the, the six o'clock news. As was I. I remember that. Now that he mentions it, I, I remember. I remember them doing that. And uh, uh, and later, I, again, I'm just, I'm, I'm just very pleased that uh, uh, Pastor Coates uh, played this so well in so many ways, and uh, has been so vindicated by the uh, uh, the march of history. Uh, here, so, all right. And so, yeah, I mean, I spent that week wondering if I was going to get a knock on my door and whether I'd be with my family for Christmas. So things were things were dialing up. So I was I was already at that point in time concerned that that there might be repercussions to me legally and that I could be potentially arrested uh, for, for for the fact that we were just opening our doors. I mean, all we were doing as a leadership was opening our doors, letting our people decide whether or not they wanted to be there. They wanted to be there, and as as shepherds of the flock. As, as shepherds of Christ, we're, we're not going to tell people they can't come to the gathering. And we knew at that point in time that the, that the virus wasn't nearly as serious as they were making it out to be, that the measures that were in place were definitely government overreach. And so we, we knew at that particular point in our obedience to Christ that we, we had to stand and keep our doors open, that that capitulate at that point in time would have been born out of fear, would have been born out of um, any one of a number of motivations that would, would ultimately just be summed up as disobedience to Christ. We, 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 we had to be obedient to him honor him to glorify him so we took that stand and and, and it... remember guys this is not a <laughs> uh he's not originally saying this on a christian podcast uh <laughs> he's he's originally saying this on a uh on a at the national citizens inquiry into the into canada's response to COVID 19. um so you want to talk about um, wearing your Christianity in the uh, public square, bringing the supremacy of Christ um, into the public square. Uh, this is a this is a, a great way of doing it, um, and it's uh, it's through his uh, through his faithfulness um, that uh, that he keeps getting these opportunities. Okay, we're we're. Uh, a blazing eight minutes into this 52 minute uh uh which is actually i consider a win so far so but let's let's keep going shall we in the, the days and weeks subsequent to december 20th uh i would say that the government utilized every possible tool they could to um force us into submission they used the court of public opinion through the media because we were severely treated in the media um they, they used the court system. They ordered us in January. Uh, the court ordered us to comply with this health order that we had been given on December 17th. And, uh, and so at that particular point, we had to decide, what are we going to do? Are we going to appeal this? If we appeal it, then it's going to be like an eight-week wait for the appeal. And in theory, if you're going to appeal something, then you really ought to be complying with the legislation in place um, leading up to that appeal. We just did not feel we could do that. And so we opted to continue to meet and, and could have been held in contempt of court, which come up come uh with up to two years in imprisonment and uh and so i, mean, I can remember the saturday where it was 
was the Sunday before that Sunday that we would be in contempt of court. And I asked my lawyer at the time, James Kitchen, I said, you know, what's the likelihood of me doing jail time for this? And he said, pretty likely. And, uh, and, I, and I said, you know, how much? He said, well, probably a couple of months. And uh, that was a heavy su- Saturday. I mean, that was a really heavy Saturday. That's, you know, that's the, the, the pressure that was on me at that particular point was immense um, and, and difficult in this moment to describe. Um, but we, you know, we're here wanting to obey Christ and, and willing to lose it all for him. So by God's grace, I was able to settle that, that turmoil that I was in that day. Uh, complete my sermon, and we met that following Sunday, and could have been held in contempt of court, which AHS never took us back to court to do. But at that point in time, seemed to indicate that they weren't ready to jail a pastor, and so they basically ordered us to to close our building unless we were going to comply with the Public Health Act. And uh, we, we just thought, well, that's kind of a lateral move. I mean, we've been having that discussion all the way along, so we were expecting them in the week following that that one Sunday where we would have been in contempt of court for them to take us back to court. They were just ordering us to shut our doors, which is kind of what they were doing anyway. So we just continued to meet. Uh, things changed on February 7th because at that point, the RCMP came into our building without AHS on a Sunday. So that was a, a significant change for me. I knew things were different at that particular point, and that meant that the RCMP was now driving the investigation. So we had the RCMP in our gathering on our balcony on February 7th. And uh, following that service, I was informed by one of our uh, one of the members of our leadership that, uh, that they were going to arrest me. And so it was sort of up to me to determine when that would be. Would I turn myself in or how would that look? And I just said, well, let's just do it now. I mean, let's not wait. So the RCMP came back to our facility and within about 15 minutes, actually. And uh, we went into the office. I was read my rights. Uh, I was arrested. Um, I was released in the same moment, but, but officially arrested and, um, and served with what's called an undertaking. The, the undertaking was ordering me to comply with the Public Health Act. Um, I, I indicated to the officers at the time that I could not agree to the terms of the undertaking. So they, were, they, they wrote, refused to sign where my name would have gone, where my signature would have gone, and, uh, and then indicated they'd be back next week, which, which meant they knew I'd be back next week, which was an amazing week because yeah, that following week, re- I, I was doing a... Excuse me, do you yeah. recall exactly what the undertaking was? Well, it was an undertaking ordering me to comply with the Public Health Act. Okay which is basically the whole, that was the whole thing the whole way along. But they were trying to utilize every tool they possibly could to get us to comply with the Public Health Act. We're saying we can't do that, and, and we can't do that because it's in violation of the Lordship of Christ. Okay. Uh, Christ is head of his church. He dictates to the church the terms of worship. You know, initially when the pandemic broke, given our ignorance around the virus and even the, the new circumstances that we were dealing with at that time, um, and our, our call to be submissive to the governing authorities, Romans 13, we, we complied initially. But by that point in time, compliance with the government would have been disobedience to Christ. And so we knew that, um, that we couldn't comply with the Public Health Act. So in the following week, um, you know, I, I did a funeral. So I'm, I'm doing a funeral in the following week. So I've got like the RCMP in my, servant, in my services. I'm doing funerals. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, does the government really want to jail a pastor who's just doing exactly what the Bible commands him to do? So anyway, that following week we met, I preached a sermon called Directing Government to Its Duty. Uh, that sermon went viral as well. That that sermon, I think, has it's over a hundred thousand views, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and um, so that sermon went went viral, and it was on the heels of that sermon that I um, I was going to be arrested again. I would need to turn myself in on the Tuesday because the Monday was uh, family day. So I had two more sleeps in my bed. And <laughs> okay, first of all, 
<laughs> let me point out the semi-hilarity of them not not wanting to arrest him on a, a holiday, not for the same reasons as the uh, the Jewish leaders uh, with Jesus, but uh, <laughs> um, uh, but just because it would just be have been a hassle to everyone. That's kind of funny. Um, but okay, what I wanted to what I wanted to comment was. Do we actually think that he would have been arrested if he preached on something else those two weeks rather than preaching on how government needs to submit to the Lordship of Christ in both, in both those weeks, basically? Um, I, I I just I have a sneaking suspicion that there's there's a bit of the, uh, a bit of the content of his sermons motivating his treatment at the hands of the government so that Functionally, so so that in a very real sense, I what I guess I'm claiming is that in a very real sense, we arrested a pastor for what he preached. Um, because I think if it weren't for what he preached, they wouldn't have arrested him. They would have taken other measures. So remember, he's the first one. Um, no other pastor has been arrested yet. So there's no precedent. Um, they were obviously very reticent to, to go here because arresting pastors is the kind of thing China does. Um, so the real Chinese virus you should be aware of, uh, you should be afraid of is uh, uh, a breakdown of the freedom of religion. Eh? Uh, but Anyway, so that's um, uh, so that's I guess that's I, I guess I'm willing to make that my hot take here is I think he was arrested for what he preached. I think he was arrested for the content of his sermon in the sense that I think they would have stopped short of arresting him if it weren't for the content of his sermon. But he's basically, and they kind of, they kind of say that, and he'll probably bring this out. They kind of say it was that he was, it was his, it was that he was sort of putting his thumb in their eye that led them to focus on him for this enforcement. Um, but anyway, um, okay, just wanted to make that point so okay so it was family day so um he got to not be arrested for a little bit longer um because the 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 cops and the and the jailers and everything and whatever i mean cops and jailers don't actually get three-day weekends but whoever was <laughs> whoever was involved in um uh who 
maybe it was AHS. <laughs> AHS wanted their three-day weekend, apparently. Um, and so uh, he had a little longer to uh, uh, sleep in his own bed. All right, here we go. And uh, and would turn myself in on Tuesday. I turned myself in, was brought before the justice of the peace. I had two hearings. The first was adjourned, and um, and the second was going to result in my release. Ultimately, the justice didn't think that it was necessary to imprison me, and he didn't think that imprisoning me would actually prevent our church from continuing to gather. And he was right, obviously. And so I'd be released. So at that point in time, the question was for me. Um, like at that point, I'm just in waiting. What kind of condition am I going to get? Like, am I going to be released and, and given a condition? Or am I going to have to agree to my condition to be released? And uh, I knew I wouldn't be able to agree with the condition to be released. So we were just, both myself and the RCMP officer, were just kind of waiting to see how the condition would be written. And uh, the, the, the release of my bail condition required that I agree to the terms. And I just couldn't do that. I couldn't agree to the terms because that would... Basically, the bail condition was anytime that I set foot on uh, Grace Lake Church uh, property, I would need to be in compliance with public health act, which would mean that I can't just open our doors and host church services because we wouldn't be socially distanced. I'm not going to mandate that people mask uh, and so forth. So we'd be over the capacity limits and everything. So, um, so I just said, well, I can't, I can't agree to that condition. And at that point in time, I, I therefore couldn't be released. And so I, um, I was going to be held overnight until uh, the morning when I'd be taken to a, a courthouse uh, in the middle of the night, as I recall, it was about 3 a.m. I was woken up to be printed and my mug shot to be taken, which I thought was very strange. In light of the fact that all I had to do was sign my condition, I'd be home. So I thought that was unusual. To get to the courthouse the following morning, I was shackled and cuffed. Again, seemed a bit strange in light of the fact that um, I'm not a flight risk. I mean, I, I, all I have to do is sign my condition and I can go home. So I'm, I don't need to be shackled. But I was brought to the courthouse the following day on the, I guess it would have been the 17th, Wednesday, 24th. Again, this is more proof in my, in my view that they're just trying to make an example of him. This is what happens when you stand up to the state. Now put your head down, peasant. Um, that's, that's what I think is going on here. I don't think there's, I, 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 I don't think there's any, genuine public interest um being pursued here 2021 and it was determined at that point in time that i'd be taken to remand center and you know we would obviously appeal the bail condition that i was given but there would be a period of time between you know um that day and when that bail hearing would take place so that later that day i was taken to the evanson remand center uh, i spent 35 days in evanson remand and was released on, I believe, Monday, March 22nd, 2021. Um, we were, uh, I was released because the, 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 the Crown adjusted the terms of my release and gave me uh, terms that I could agree to. And so, um, so we, we, there was a deal that was struck between my legal team and the Crown to give me terms that I could agree to. I agreed to those terms, uh, was released. And, uh, and then we had our, our first service um, now that I'm out. And what's very interesting is that during the entire time that I was uh, imprisoned, AHS did not attempt to get into the facility, nor did the RCMP. But on the first Sunday that I'm back, they wanted to come in again. And uh, we had two gentlemen from our church, wonderful men, who used Section 176 of the Criminal Code to keep them from interrupting our worship service, and they were successful. So we had that gathering. And in the following week uh, would have been now, you know, I think it was April 7th when this happened, Wednesday, April 7th, 2021, 
uh, the following in the following week after that that service, my first service back, uh, I believe it's the RCMP. They they broke into our building, changed our locks, uh, locked us out, put up three layers of fencing around our facility, so we couldn't access the property at all. There was twenty four seven security surveillance of the property, so there were security staff that wouldn't let us on our facility, and uh, we were locked out. So at that point in time, we went underground, and we're going from location to location. Uh, in undisclosed service locations and uh, we were just continuing to do exactly what we're called to do in obedience to christ is worship him and we did that and uh and and you know on the one hand that was a really sweet time of worship because we were truly just worshiping in in, in you know in the hundreds uh the lord uh under the blue sky and uh just out enjoying the elements uh, well um in case he doesn't point it out um well okay so first of all let's point out that Presumably, um, they either had some idea who the leak was and that person didn't get the email anymore, or um, uh, that person was sufficiently chastened by their pastor being arrested that they, they didn't share this information with AHS, knowing that it would lead to his further arrest. Um, so one of those two things happened. Um, but in case he doesn't point it out, um, this is what Tim Stevens did in Calgary and the Calgary Police Service flew Calgary Police Service helicopters, which cost a fortune to run, um, to go search the woods for their church um, so that they could arrest him again um, when they were doing this. And this was much later after we knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that um, that outdoor spread was essentially not a thing um, that this happened to Tim Stevens. This was still a little earlier when, um, although I think this was, I think this was after the Black Lives Matter protests, which was the first time they, uh, uh, made it clear that outdoor spread wasn't a thing. Uh, but then wasn't the Sturgis motorcycle rally right after that? And they said, oh, outdoor spread is a thing again. And this is going to be a super spreader. Um, and then literally zero <laughs> spread occurred at the uh, Sturgis motorcycle rally. Anyway, um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, just, yeah, remember how crazy this was that they were, they were trying to arrest people for doing probably the safest thing you could possibly do, which is have a service outside um, where, where spread is, is basically impossible. Like literally, literally people would be in more, in more danger of spreading the virus in their own homes than at an outdoor church service. So literally like the Zoom service they wanted you to do was actually less safe than for those couple hours being outdoors instead. Isn't that interesting? Anyway. Uh, what was not so wonderful about that is that the government was, um, law enforcement was, you know, dogging our steps. So had we not moved at one point, uh, very likely that our entire leadership would have been arrested had we gone forward with that gathering because we know that they were where we were the week before. And, uh, there was apparently a canine unit, and uh, so anyway, there 
we, we were pretty sure that that would have resulted in an arrest. In fact, I think that would have been the same weekend that Tim Stevens got his first arrest, and that was all revolving around the court order that AH, AHS got in conjunction with uh, the whistle stop and and uh, Chris Scott, who was just on a moment ago. Um, anyway, so so that's when AHS was using that dirty uh, uh, court order and, and, and using it very liberally when it was for a particular purpose. They were using it for everyone. And, um, and of course, thankfully, the court system did rectify that. A higher court uh, ruled that that was an unlawful use of that, of that court order, which is wonderful. Uh, and so we just basically were the underground church until uh, we received our building back on July 1st when everything opened up on, on Canada Day. Uh, okay, so let me just point out that um, I don't think I knew that, that I don't think I knew that they had canine units out searching the area that they had met on the previous week um uh while while they were meeting outdoors so that's i th i think that's new information to me and that's just again it's useful to remember how how crazy the 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 state was in trying to enforce its lawless brainless edicts during this time uh and had our first service in our building on july 4th and then just continued to meet and everything was again going along rather smoothly until the third declared public health emergency took place and um you know we just didn't know exactly how the government was going to handle it at that point in time that was in september of 2021 and uh the question on our minds was did the government want to have round two of that same battle or not and um it turns out they didn't they they, they completely left us alone there was no media coverage uh there were ahs wasn't there our cmp um it, it just we were we were left entirely alone at that point in time there may have been an rcmp wait a second i i'm confused why would um why would the government deciding not to make a thing out of this mean that there was no media coverage um i i thought i thought the media was independent of the government and was supposed to hold their feet to the fire why would they why would they be covering a pastor like he was the enemy when the government was saying so and then not when they weren't that's this doesn't even add up doesn't make sense does it Pardon my sarcasm there. Um, just <laughs> yes, of course, of course. The <laughs> the statist media is going to. This is why I had a I had this conversation with a CBC reporter once, where she was like, you know, um, I I I know that I know that conservatives like you don't like CBC because um, it's uh, because it's paid for by the government and and you think that's going to uh skew the coverage and um but uh i i just uh is what do you what do you think about the studies that show that um the uh that state-sponsored media isn't any worse uh anymore uh uh, any more, um, whatever, uh, deferential to the state 
than uh, uh, than media that isn't state sponsored. To, <laughs> um, uh, to which I react, yeah, all the worse for the media that isn't state sponsored because. As far as I'm concerned, they're all way too differential to the. I mean, the New York Times is not is not in theory is not state sponsored. I, I shouldn't say in theory is it's not directly state sponsored in the way that the CBC is or the way that PBS is or whatever. Um, uh, and yet, WMDs in Iraq, New York Times is your place. Um, there's no famine going on in in the Ukraine, would have been correct at the time. No famine going on in the Ukraine. Uh, New York Times is your place. Uh, uh, there no reason to go go to war in Europe when the state didn't want to go in, to war in, uh, in Europe. New York Times is your outlet to push that narrative. There is a reason now to go to war in Europe now that... Uh, now that the state wants to go to war in Europe, New York Times is your is your outlet to uh, push that. Um, uh, the Russians are controlling U.S. elections, and they want Donald Trump. New York Times is your place to uh, push that. Um, you know, uh, China's great, and there are no problems. Now, the the uh, New York Times is your place to push that narrative. Uh, back in the 20s and 30s, um, the yellow menace is sweeping over the over the planet. The New York Times was your place to push that narrative when that was the narrative the state wanted. It's it's it, it's. <laughs> um, so yeah, all the more condemnation heaped upon the non-state media that they can't manage to uh, extract themselves from being stenographers for the state all right uh we're 21 minutes in i i would say that we're making great progress vehicle in vicinity a couple of times during that period of time but uh for the most part we were just entirely left alone and able to meet in peace as we had always intended so at this point you pretty much were brought back to normal but it took until about september of 2021 am i right well i mean the question because what we were still meeting during a public health emergency so is that normal like we were meeting but our government on paper wasn't permitting it um and i'm trying to recall now yeah. when that emergency ended i can't even recall right now when the third one ended um i can't so that would have been normal exactly so, so normal would have been we're meeting and we can't be penalized arrested fined meeting that that that's normal right. and that didn't happen until later probably into 2022 sometime okay so is there anything else still pending you want to tell us about uh you know the only thing that is still kind of pending would be my my the legal stuff and everything is hinging on the ingram case at this point in time which is another case that's currently in the court system and has been for over a year now that we're waiting for a decision to be made on that once that decision falls, then a number of other dominoes will fall in lower courts and we'll deal with uh, with my stuff personally, which at, at this point, the worst case scenario is I'd be on the hook for a $1,200 fine, which is really uh, nothing at this point in time. The 
the, the piece that remains for me personally is more symbolic in the sense that I'm contesting the charter right violation. Uh, as far as our church is concerned, we could be on the hook for tens of thousands of dollars. Um, but again, you know, we'll just consider that money well spent because it was spent to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, at this point, do the commissioners have any questions? I'm going to feel like the mayor in Texas at the beginning of COVID demanded that get all the sermons from ministers in that town. Just asking if the two sermons that went viral, if we could have it introduced as evidence. Uh, Sorry, Wayne. Uh, when we have the two sermons that went viral, introduced as evidence. Um, I suppose we could if we have a copy of it. Uh, a Chiron would not go amiss here to let us know who these people are because. Um, I, I, I'll admit, I, I mean, this, this, uh, national citizens inquiry, these, these, uh, hearings have been happening at a, at a particularly busy time for me professionally. So I have not been, I've not been watching all these hearings. So I don't know who these people are. Uh, so a Chiron would not go amiss, uh, telling me, uh, who these people are, but anyway, um, so I've got nothing for you. Sorry. Are you okay if we have a copy of those two sermons that went viral? Yeah, actually, um, there's two ways you can go about that. Uh, so the sermons are on our YouTube page. You can do that. Um, I also have a book that I've co-authored called God First Government. Both those sermons are in that book. They've been modified slightly for the, the nature of it being a book and not a sermon. But uh, those the, the record of those two sermons, in effect, is in that book, God vs. Government, that I co-authored. Otherwise, there might be a way to get a transcript of the sermon itself. Thank you. And um, I'm sure that when you were in the wilderness, you felt like the Church of the Wilderness of Moses time. So when the government was dogging your steps, how did you feel as a, as a person, as an individual, a pastor, but also how did the congregation feel? You know, it's, it's difficult for me to be able to speak to how the congregation felt because I think that there would have been a variety of different responses to what was taking place. In some cases, there might have been excitement. In some cases, uh, there might have been more concern, more turmoil. I think at that particular point, the congregation wasn't uh, experiencing the heat of the government oppression. If there was any sort of heat they were experiencing at that point in time, it would have been more from uh, co-workers, employers, family members, because our church had been so, made so public. Uh, in terms of what we were doing, that it did impact the work environment for certain folks and, and certainly the family uh, relationships that would have existed in an extended family. So I don't know that the congregation would have been feeling much in, in, in way of, uh, there would have been certain congregants who might have been involved in actually making their location available. And so they would have felt a little bit of cost in all of that, for sure. Um, but I think, you know, in my case, I, I can remember one, Sunday in particular that we were heading out to a location and we were trying to be discreet and fly under the cover, which is hard to do when you're, you know, three, four, five hundred people. Um, and uh, and it just seemed like we were blowing it at every point. And uh, and so when all, you know, when all was said and done, I mean, even we had, uh, I'll tell you this story. Uh, so we were driving into a particular location and, uh, and and we can see that there are residents in the location, in the area. Who are who are there and watching us drive in on their phone, not looking happy at all, and uh, and I'm just going, like, oh, we're finished, we're toast. I mean, this is it. Like this is so. I'm going in thinking we're done, and that this is during the time that AHS had that court order they were using. It's the same Sunday that, as I recall, that Tim Stevens had his first arrest, and 
it's the same Sunday that we would have been arrested had we met at the other location. So, um, so anyway, we had one of our members go and speak to this this family and just say, "Hey, listen, uh, we're a church, and and uh, just let us know if you're going to call the cops, and 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 you know we'll leave." Uh, and they, and they, they were thrilled when they found out we were a church. They were thrilled, uh, and, and then when they found out we were Grace Life Church, they were even more thrilled. And then they said they, they were going to phone all the neighbors and make sure all the neighbors knew everything was okay, which was great in one sense, but probably gave that location away in another. So, uh, but there were yeah, there were moments. It was hard. The whole time was hard. I mean, the left. By the way, based rural, rural Alberta, let me just say, um, that's, that's, uh, that's awesome. Full of intensity. The, uh, the, there's no question, the government oppression, the, the intensity that we were experiencing on a basically daily basis was out of this world. I mean, our nerves were shot by the end of all of that. Um, it was exhausting, but it was, uh, it, was, it was necessary because we believe there's a cost in following Christ and our desire is to bring honor and glory to his name. And in terms of PHS, they would have had all the legal resources at their fingertips and financial resources as well to get proper legal opinions if they couldn't apply that court case to every single uh, entity being the churches and their restaurants. What do you think they were thinking? Was it just laziness perhaps on part of AHS seeking out legal opinions that would have dug deeper and well, yeah. rather than having to go to court, a higher court ruling? Yeah, I mean, I think at this point in time, like if I were to comment on what I believe motivated that, I would be, um, it, it's not going to be flattering for AHS. So I don't think it'd be profitable for me to presume on what was in their hearts. I think, um, yeah, I, it'd probably be better to ask someone like Leighton Gray that question because he, he was involved, as I recall, in dealing with that whole court order being modified. And uh, so... Um, yeah, the JCCS. Yeah. So I, I, I'm reluctant to comment on that because uh, I think it, it, it could get me into trouble. It might get me into trouble too. Um, just one more point. Or I actually have two more questions. Theological. A lot of the churches in Ontario where I was were arguing Romans 13, 1 and 2 as their basis for staying closed. And I asked this question of a minister in Truro, so I'm going to kind of put you on the spot a little bit here as well. I'm just wondering, how did you respond from a theological perspective to that argument that Romans 13 and 1 and 2 apply and that was justification for all churches being closed while you were still open. Yeah, so I mean, at, at the outset, uh, it's typical. I don't know that there's any theological tradition that wouldn't acknowledge there are limits on government uh, authority. Uh, you see that in the context of the apostles uh, in Acts 5. They declare in no uncertain terms, we must obey, obey God, not man. So everyone agrees that there's a limitation on government authority. There is a point where they, they are beyond their authority. And, and so that, that, that would be a good place to kind of like frame everything. But if you go to Romans 13, uh, this gets settled because all authority is from God. So he's the source of it. He delegates that authority to spheres of authority, the government being one. And anytime God delegates anything, it's always with a particular purpose. And that purpose is outlined in the verses that follow. That the government is in place to bring law and order. They're in, in place to praise good behavior. Uh, the Bible defines what is good. They're there to, to penalize evil conduct. The Bible defines what is evil. And so the government doesn't have unilateral, total authority to do whatever it wants in, in, in the matters and affairs of a country. They have a very particular responsibility given to them. And, and when they're beyond that authority, we're not under obligation to obey. Um, we... we Obviously, if you choose not to obey, there are consequences that can come uh, from that, as is evident in, in our case. But there are clear limits that are placed on 
the governing authorities, and, and it's not their authority to tell the church when it can worship, how it can worship, you know, how far apart people have to be, whether a mask is to be worn while one worships, uh, whether you can sing or not, like that, that is outside of their jurisdiction. That is entirely within the context of the headship of Christ over his church. And it's our responsibility as elders to protect and guard that headship. And so when the government is trying to infringe on the authority of Christ by telling the church when and how it can worship, we're going, no, you can't do that. And it's our responsibility to say no. So um, everyone agrees that there are limits on government authority. So appealing to Romans 13 to, to justify compliance in the context of COVID is, is, is just begging the question. It's, it, it doesn't answer anything. Uh, Romans 13 needs to be accurately handled and applied to particular circumstances. And I didn't interrupt there because I didn't hear anything I disagreed with. Um, uh, so I, I won't get into an exegesis of Romans 13 without Josh um, because that would, uh, that would be uh, uh, particularly funny. Uh, but not, but maybe not particularly fruitful for the for the podcast. We've talked about it quite a bit, uh, obviously, um, since it's the uh, locus classicus for uh, opposition to our viewpoint. Um, but uh, but yeah, he nailed it. Like, um, no one no one thinks that the obedience is unlimited here. Uh, you have the obvious examples um of well first of all daniel um in daniel 3 and uh the apostles uh in uh uh acts 4 and following <laughs> um uh paul frequently um and uh, and obviously the invocation in Acts four of we must obey God rather than men. So um, so you have to be able to harmonize um, those ideas if we believe that that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Um, that uh, that then we have to harmonize those um, those two ideas and and so. The uh, obedience to the state, uh, obedience to a civil magistrate, uh, even cannot be unlimited, um, uh, and uh, and so, and then and so then he moved on from that to giving a a uh, a theological defense of why th this particular kind of order cannot be followed uh, by a church with which I agree. So anyway, that's why I didn't interrupt him because I uh, am just tittoing what he said. And we are more than halfway through this thing. So we are cooking with gas, cats and kittens. And churches are known for good works and things. Is that right? Well, they certainly ought to be. I mean, I, I certainly can't speak for, uh, you know, for every church, but, but from my vantage point, as Grace Life continued to meet, the accusation would have been that we were not loving our neighbor when in reality we were. And, and that's there's a beautiful, there's a beautiful, whenever you are obeying Christ, and, and we were obeying him at the context of the of the church, whenever you are obeying him on any level, you're, you're obeying him on every level. So once we settled that, no, this is clear overreach. Government doesn't have this authority. Romans 13 has limitations. Christ is head of his church. This is how our, our worship services are to be governed. 
once we check those boxes and worked all that out, then you can go to loving your neighbor. We did the best thing possible to love our neighbor, whether they realize that or not. So whether, whether an Albertan loves us or hates us, whether they support what we did or, or don't, it doesn't matter. We did the best possible thing for our province. And, and, and ultimately, it's the Lord's judgment to either vindicate or, or otherwise that claim. But, but we, uh, we actually love Albertans, whether they like us or, or not, uh, through and through. And, and I think that is a, a testimony of good works. What a what a great way of putting that is that is that no we loved our neighbors by obeying Christ, um, and we and so whether they liked us or not, <laughs> we loved them. Um, that that's a, a great way of putting that. I also meant to point out that uh, um, during that theological answer, I looked up. Uh, uh, I looked up the commissioners and the commissioner asking these questions. Actually, the Wayne guy is not on this page, but um, the commissioner ask, asking this question is Janice Kaikinen, I want to say. Um, and um, anyway, um, so she has. Um, an MA in Island Studies. I'm not entirely sure I remember what that is, um, although it's not the first time I've seen it or looked it up. Um, but uh, a BA in uh, English and Political Science and some sort of degree in Public Administration. I'm assuming that's an MPA, a Master's of Public Administration. That's my guess. Um, and um, because because she's uh, it says next that she's taught in both K through twelve and post secondary education, faculty of the arts, uh, education, journalism, pre med. Um, her research specialization involves the intersection of public policy and the social fabric, which has led Janice to pursue a PhD in theology and discipleship. So this is why she's asking some of these. Uh, Theological, uh, theological questions. Um, it it does occur to me, and and she's currently serving on the Blue Water District School Board. Um, it it does occur to me that uh, uh, that this is a highly qualified person uh, to talk about both the theological and the education, uh, the, both the, the church and the education uh, uh, aspects of Canada's response to COVID-19, um, which uh, sounds like that might've been another reason why uh, they uh, um, were, were not so eager to keep me uh, in the loop is they found a, a better version of uh, of Jeff Park here, uh, just in, at least in terms of uh, in terms of the resume uh, here. So uh, uh, anyway, I uh, uh, I just I noticed noticed from her resume that uh, she's uh, she's filling a role on this commission that uh, sounded familiar uh, <laughs> to me um, from uh, from having. Uh, 
having discussed the the planning of this commission. Anyway. And then my final question is a little bit heart wrenching for me to ask. I'm going to ask it anyway. When you think of the visual of the RCFP standing while the congregation may have been sitting before the standing ovations, where they thanked and recognized the, and acknowledged the RCFP in the service, I'm just wondering how the children felt. Here's these authority figures standing with their their fully um, they have guns. They are uh, authority figures. And then we take that respect that the church gave to those RCMP officers, and then we take it uh, fast forward to the point where were being arrested and other pastors were being arrested the children had to watch i'm just wondering has there been any conversations either within your family or within the congregation members where their families were would be standing by and watching this where uh, authority figures are put into the rightful place and what actually they were thinking as children when these authority figures that you readily and willingly gave respect to suddenly changed their perspective and said that what you were doing was not something that they acknowledged or uh, approved of. Well, let me say this, that the, the officers that, that we were engaged with uh, were, were guys that respected us. Uh, they, they treated us well. You know, uh, we can disagree. Like, I can disagree. I can, I might have approached it differently if I were in their shoes as far as whether or not I would have even, uh, like, the, in my estimation, the responsibility of a law enforcement officer when an unjust order comes in is to tell their superior no. We're not going to do that. Now, the superior can do a few different things at that point in time. They can fire you. Um, they could just say, okay, well, you won't. Another guy will. Um, and, and that guy might not be as kind and nice. You know, so obviously these officers had to kind of weigh, you know, the pros and cons of being the ones that were going to be the front men on this case. But I would just say they, they were respectful. They were, they were kind and gracious. And, and so I, apart from I wish more law enforcement officers would have just said no to the superior above them and in unison, uh, that would have been phenomenal. Um, you know, the next best thing is is that they would treat us with respect, and 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 they honored us because we honored them. And and so I would just say that, as far as the kids are concerned, um, yeah, it was confusing for the kids. I mean, kids grow up wanting to be police officers, right? Um, they they love law enforcement. Um, to be a policeman's cool. So when the police are coming into your gathering and are arresting your pastor, yeah, it's confusing for the kids. But the, the wonderful thing is this, though. Um, so, so Christ is a savior of sinners and we are all sinners. We have all sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And so as parents who love Christ and who have been saved through his death and resurrection, we are shepherding the hearts of our children and we're, we're, we're wanting our children to receive the saving benefits of Christ and his work on the cross. And, 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 and part of that is we're, we're shepherding their hearts, help them understand the need to extend forgiveness and grace to law enforcement and, and to honor and respect them, even if they're not being honorable. So, um, so there's no question that there's going to be. There would have been discussions that would have come up at that time. Uh, but we, we have all the tools in the scriptures to shepherd their hearts and to help them think through that and, and to ensure that, that their heart toward law enforcement is what it ought to be, which is one of honor and respect. And, uh, and so, though, though it was confusing for sure, um, you know, we could got what we need to navigate that. Thank you very much. What an unbelievable testimony. First of all, the ability to, in this public inquiry, um, 
to just preach the gospel of Jesus Christ directly to this question. Um, but what a testimony for a man who was arrested by police officers who abrogated the, abdicated, sorry, was the word I was looking for, abdicated their duty to refuse an unlawful order and arrested him to be able to so quickly and sincerely say that it was a great opportunity for his children. She's asking about the children in the congregation generally, but, but I'm thinking about his children. That, that his children should see that as an opportunity to follow in the footsteps of their risen Lord and forgive the police officers who violated God's law by arresting their dad. Um... I am so thankful that it was this person who got arrested. I'm so thankful that it was James Coates and Tim Stevens who, and, and the enemy wanted it to be other people who were not as um, clear in the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I am so happy it was these two men who became the face of uh, these lockdowns and these arrests and these and these uh, overreactions by government. Um, because um, I have to say, I'm. I'm not sure I would have been capable of giving that answer. Um, and isn't it remarkable that they still want to honor the cops? They still want they they still want to teach their kids that it's okay to want to grow up and be a cop. And, and, and I, I think that's all good, by the way, like I'm not, not, I'm not criticizing it. I'm just, I'm finding it a little incredible, but I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not criticizing it. That's, um, I think there might be a mild theological and certainly political disagreement underlying um, part of that answer, but I don't even care to be frank. Like, um, like I'm sorry the 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 cop hating and I, I I I I'm with you guys. Look, I I had I had corrupt cops try to ruin my life. I um I I know 
I know. Um, so I'm, I'm with you guys on the cops. I get it. But teaching your kids to resent and and dishonor cops it's just a bad parenting move guys like i'm sorry it just it just is first of all um i'm not sure i want one of my kids to be a cop just because it would be very difficult i think to be a Christian with conviction and be a cop. And maybe they wouldn't even let them. Uh, again, I'm hoping for a revival and, and for Christ to rule the nations. Um, so, but unless that happens, maybe it's not even possible. And I don't want to set, set any of my kids up to, for, for that kind of, disappointment and and uh yeah but so that's part of it um but i also just think it would be it would be very very difficult extremely difficult to regulate your anger and aggression in a way um that uh that a christian should and to and the dealing with unlawful orders in a way that christian a christian should and and, and i mean with so many police departments these days it's it's one of the most intense places where you've got to dodge all the woke nonsense too and and so so in that sense in that sense, I don't. But there's another sense in which I go, well, if I'm not, if there are going to be cops, if I'm not raising the kind of kids that I would want to be those cops, <laughs> then what am I doing here? So, um, and yeah, I think, I think, I, I anyway, I think you're just, I think we have to have a way to be able to tell people the cops are honorable. No, the cops don't have to be honorable. Being a cop is an honorable profession. We need honorable people to perform this job and also don't talk to them. <laughs> when, <laughs> like, don't talk to them when they're investigating. Um, uh, we, we've, we've got to somehow find that balance guys, because I'm sorry, like the, the, the libertarian one-upsmanship about, uh, well, I taught my kid this about the cops and I taught my kid this about the cops. It, it, you're just, you're just setting your, setting your kids up to get harassed by cops because they're disrespectful towards cops, which is not like. 
like I, I I don't care if it's like the the pure libertarian thing. You're just it's just bad parenting. You're just setting your kids up for for failure. Um, like I don't care. I don't even care if you're right. You're just <laughs> you're just making life harder on your kids. Um, and um, And uh, yeah, setting your kid up for failure and harassment from cops is not the the greatest plan to preserve the life of your child either. And I know I know that that's because cops are sinners, and when you empower sinners um, with the ability to uh, sin with lethal lethal force without enough checks and balances, that that's the kind of thing that happens. And I totally get that that's what's wrong with the cops but it's also your responsibility to make sure it's not your kid okay that's all i'm saying anyway um that was a beautiful beautiful my main point is that was a beautiful beautiful testimony um to the grace and forgiveness of jesus um, and I'm so glad he was able to do that. Um, and the rant about parenting was free. And I know, by the way, it's just, um, it's a totally popular and uncontroversial thing to criticize the way people parent. So I'm sure, I, I'm, I'm sure we'll get lots of comments below this video and emails to anarchistbiblestudy at gmail.com, um, which go ahead, send that email to anarchistbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you wanted to defend the cops, that you can send to boot.liquor at sarwark.ca. Um, but, uh, but if you want to, uh, uh, if you, if you want to criticize me for anything I just said in that rant, I probably deserve it. So, uh, go ahead and send that to anarchistbiblestudy at gmail.com or comment it on the video if you'd like to make criticism public. Or if you'd like, you can criticize me as directly to my face as you're going to get the opportunity to do by going to buymeacoffee.com slash flyover and paying $1 a month to get to the secret discord where, where you can directly challenge me and my cop takes, my parenting takes. Um, uh, along with C, just so many Lord of the Rings memes, and uh, you can, if 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 your favorite part of the show is uh, Iwan Cap rolling his eyes at uh, Canadian politics or hockey, uh, there's plenty of that going on as well. Obviously, lots of school choice and and uh, parental authority stuff going on all the time, uh, coming from me, uh, and then Iwan Cap posts too. Uh, so okay. To hear the rest, tune into Anarchist Bible Study Episode 103.5, Grace and Peace.